It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help in the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Kutcher. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this first day of December 2016. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and today our guest speaker is John Doherty, and we're going to talk uh, some about the claims process and what have you. Uh, It's just going to be kind of a catch-all program, and if any of you have any questions or comments, feel free to call in on our number here. It's 347-237-4819. Now, that call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819, and then hit 1 when you... uh, That'll put you into the queue here with us. And uh, we'll be glad to get some questions or comments or, uh, you know, uh, if you got anything you want to talk about, let us know. How are you doing tonight, John? Gerald, I'm doing good. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's a pleasure, and, and certainly I'm more than happy to to answer any of the callers' questions if anyone wants to call in, and, and uh, maybe we can talk about uh, the claims process. That would be fine. Well, yeah, uh, you know, these claims, let's talk a little bit about appeals. I mean, my land's, uh, you know, you're in the claim process or the appeals process, and uh, it seems like the VA is able to juggle them back and forth and you never know for sure where you're at. One time you're in the claims end of it and next time you're in the appeals end of it. Uh, is there any way you can get a hold of someone and and say, uh, what's going on here? My claim's been jumped back and forth. 1,500 times, it's time somebody does something. Yeah, yeah, Gerald, it's, you're right. Uh, the, the bureaucracy of the Veterans Administration can be pretty intimidating, and, and one thing I always try to do is, is ensure veterans and claimants know that you don't have to go this alone. Uh, there are qualified uh, professionals that are, are, are mandated to help veterans and claimants with their disability claims. National service officers, attorneys, uh, appeals agents such as myself, uh, state service officers, county veteran service officers, even post service officers are trained to try to help people navigate the VA claims process. Now, at the very least, if veteran wanted to call the VA directly, that number is 1-800-827-1000, and the operators are... Uh, mandated to try to explain to the claimant exactly what's going on with their claim. Now, as you get with any federal institution, you may not always get the right information, so it's it's always very important to get a a, a good advocate on your side that would actually do the uh, uh, footwork for you to determine exactly what's going on with your claim and or appeal. Well, that's true. Uh, what about these ombudsmans I keep reading about? Are they of any benefit to a veteran? When I hear, when I hear the term ombudsman, uh, it was a term that used to be associated with the uh, Board of Veterans Appeals. They were tasked to have what's called an ombudsman, someone that specifically handles veterans' concerns and claims to give them an idea of what's going on with their claims and actually make an effort to to act on their behalf at the Board of Veterans' Appeals level. Uh, 
my opinion, the, the idea of the ombudsman, I, I don't think that's even a, a position anymore with the Board of Veterans Appeals. Every time I call up there, they, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So uh, when I hear the term ombudsman, that's a, that's a term I haven't heard for quite a while, but but when, when the VA did have ombudsmen, I always associated with the Board of Veterans Appeals. They have non-online ombudsmen. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it, it, an ombudsman really isn't necessary as long as the veteran has a good power of attorney. Oh, okay. Well, that's understandable. I, I know I keep reading about ombudsmen. But uh, I've never heard anyone that's uh, gotten any benefit out of trying to call one. I know we have a state once also. Uh, And like you say, (laughs) if you do get one of them on the phone, they're at a loss uh, because they just... Uh, don't know what's going on. Yeah, I uh, you know I haven't ran into a whole lot of uh, individuals that actually call themselves ombudsmen, but for the most part, when you do deal with an ombudsman, uh, I don't believe they're going to be able to do any more than a qualified uh, power of attorney, such as myself or a national service officer like the DAV or VFW, uh, or even an attorney. So, um, yeah, I haven't heard that term in a while, Gerald. But, uh, uh, but again, if you come across an ombudsman, uh, they certainly may be able to answer some basic questions for you. But uh, just, to, just to reiterate, I think any veteran out there or claimant that has a claim pending with the VA, uh, don't go it alone. Uh, you, you may think you know it all and you read the number of blogs and, and uh, uh, it may seem like they have it down to a T, but uh, for the most part, a good qualified power of attorney who's been doing this a number of years and has, takes the time to actually dig into your file and advise you, I, I think that's the route you're going to want to go. Yeah, I can understand that. That makes sense. Uh, having a good power of attorney is... Uh, Actually, it's critical. Um, so be sure to scrutinize your power of attorneys uh, that you have before you sign up with them. One of the, Gerald, one of the things I always tell veterans is a rule of thumb. Uh, there's a lot of power of attorneys out there, independent, such as myself, attorneys, appeals agents. Uh, I always tell veterans when they ask, you know, there's so many people out there that have helped me. How do I select a power of attorney? One of the things you want to do is, is when you try to contact them, are they available right away? Um, or at least will they call you back within the next hour? And if they do, are they going to spend more than five minutes with you on the phone? If none of that happens, maybe you probably should go on to the next person because that's going to be indicative of the type of service you're going to get. If you get a power of attorney that actually talks to you and listens to you, sets aside enough time to do a complete analysis of your claim, um, that's usually the one you're going to want to stick with. Yeah, I can understand that. That makes sense. If you got a power of attorney you can't get a hold of, you're in trouble. Because, uh, as you know, it's real easy to get backwards in these claims. And uh, playing catch-up is not easy. So to have a good uh, rapport with your power of attorney and and uh, sometimes you get information they may not, uh, then you got to be able to get that to them. Yeah, I think that you need to interview your power of attorney too, just as if you're interviewing them for a job. Uh, you know, certainly uh, you have national service officers, the big three, or the American Legion, the VFW, and the DAV. Uh, but interview them, talk to them, uh, see if they're going to give you the time of day and if they know what they're talking about. You can usually educate yourself with the basics of your VA claim. 
So you can actually talk to a national service officer, and you're going to get a pretty good idea of whether they're going to represent you or not. Now, that type of service is free, but if you decide you need to get an attorney or an accredited appeals agent such as myself, there's a lot of them out there. They advertise on the Internet, the radio, all over the place, and interview them. Get a good idea from where they're coming from. Look at their resume. Because this is your life. Uh, these claims are going to change your life. It's going to change your family's life. And a lot of times you get one, maybe two shots at it with the VA. You need to nail it. You need to hit it out of the park right off the bat. I agree. I now, right? Go ahead, John. I can interject to you in one minute. I've been down this road for 25 years as well. And, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of good DSOs, a lot of good attorneys, and a lot of good agents come and go, you know, over time. Best way I can advise somebody yourself if you want to pick a good agent or DSO, you, first of all, the veteran has to know what his condition is, and he has to be educated enough in his, in his medical condition himself that he knows the actual parameters of his condition. And if he knows any word, look at the part four, the ratings, see how it compares to what he has. And if he knows that, then if he gets a hold of an agent or, uh, you know, if he can compare that and this agent or this representative knows how to utilize those regulations to have, how, how it pertains to this veteran, then that is another issue that you need to look at. But if you tell us, you tell the agent this and he gives you a deer in the headlight look or your rep, you know, then uh, you, you might want to move on somewhere that has a little knowledge about uh, how the regs operate because that's one of the major problems with them within the department yourself if the guys don't understand the regs and rules and, and the ratings enough to get a veteran claim done. Let's take a person like that. I don't know what's this guy named John Dorley out of Minnesota. I mean, he, he's already got that taken care of. I mean, he's been doing it for a while. And uh, I've seen him in action, so I can tell you right now the man knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you for that, John. And I like to think I do doing this 25 years, but you know, there's nothing like experience. And... And, and certainly, we all start out fresh. We all learn the uh, the trade of the game, and in the beginning, uh, it, it's difficult to cut your teeth. Uh, and so, certainly, uh, you want an advocate with experience. But if you do come across an advocate that has maybe a year or two under their belt, uh, if they're willing to learn, if they're willing to fight for you, and they're willing to contact who they need to and put their nose in the CFR and the M21 manual, by God, stick with that person because they have the heart. They might not have the seasoning or the experience, but but that's someone to stick with as compared to maybe someone, uh, you know, if you have 20, 25 years of experience, there are those individuals out there that you're just kind of coasting. They just kick their feet up and, you know, there's not a lot out there, but, you know, you have to you have to balance it with the heart and, and experience at the same time. And I appreciate those kind words, John, because I, I do feel like I have a combination of, of the heart and the knowledge and the experience to, to do that. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting, especially, guys, when we're talking about the more complicated claims. Uh, when we're talking about claims that are in appeals, uh, if they've been remanded by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, if they've been certified to the Court of Veterans' Appeals, if they've been remanded back to the Appeals Management Center, uh, back to the agency of jurisdiction, it can go back and forth and back and forth. You get statement of cases, supplemental statement of cases, new rating decisions. It, 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 it gets very complicated. So I think that regardless of, of the, the veterans out there that have a pretty good handle on it, uh, you always want to have a power of attorney on your side because, to be honest with you, the VA regional office, if they know you're going solo, you're already two steps back. Now, they take advantage of that. If they know you have a power of attorney sitting next to them, you're way ahead of the game. Now, uh John, if if they uh, move your appeal to Washington D.C. and then they want to have a hearing on it, are you required to go to Washington to uh, uh, 
sit there and argue your your case? That's a good question, Gerald. When when a, when a claimant files an appeal, the Board of Veterans Appeals, you'll see what's called a substantive appeal, also known as a Form Nine. Yeah. It gives you options. Gives you options as far as how you want your appeal heard. One is you don't want a hearing. You just want your case decided on the merits of the file. Yeah. The case usually gets decided quicker that way, or. You can actually travel to the Board of Veterans Appeals in Washington, D.C. and appear face-to-face with a judge. That's an option. You can do a video conference that's held at your local VA regional office. You have the judge on the TV screen in the same room with you and your power of attorney. Or you can do what's called a traveling board hearing. And that's uh, that's, uh, BVA judges that rotate throughout the country to different VA regional offices, and when they happen to get into your VA regional office, you receive a call from the VA regional office to say, the judge is going to be in town, we'd like to schedule you for a hearing. So, in answer to your question, Daryl, that is not the only option. It is an option, but you have four options, actually, and I just described that with respect to the Board of Veterans Appeals. Right. So... Um, you'd have to determine uh, that when the issue came up. What would be the best uh, 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 action to take because it could certainly vary. It depend on, you know, what all's going on at that particular time. And I I think, Gerald, certainly that any claimant that's looking at uh, uh, a question as to what they should do with their appeal, they would want to rely heavily on their power of attorney because that's what you hire them for, or that's why you appoint them to get legal advice uh, and see what they have to say. But on the other hand, the veteran has that right to select any of those four options. Now, for me, guys, as, as a power of attorney, if a veteran comes to me and says, I don't know what to do, or this is what I want to do, but, John, I want your opinion. Um, it all depends upon the case, like, like John Stacy was saying, the, the, the details in the case. Uh, I always feel that if you've made your case pretty clear and you have nothing more to add to it and it's as plain as black and white in the argument, then, then you, you probably don't want to go with a hearing. You want to just send it to the Board of Veterans Appeals and let them review it. reason being is that you're going to get a decision a lot quicker, and you're probably going to shave at least a couple of years off the pending decision time for, for, for a decision. Um, but in, in many cases, the details are very complicated, uh, it involves you explaining them specifically to a BVA judge that the uh, agency of jurisdiction isn't getting. And in those cases, it is beneficial to do a personal hearing, whether it's a video conference or a traveling board. Now, you may be waiting a deal longer, but in the end, it's worth it because you have a lot more that you need to go through at a hearing that a judge needs to understand that that judge quite likely would not understand by just looking at the file. Now, that's not a reflection on the BVA. I find the BVA to be, for the most part, very fair. Uh, Very smart individuals, their attorneys, for the most part, they're going to be able to read between the lines of most claims. But on the other hand, when you have hearings, you capture the emotion. You capture the intonation in the voice. You capture uh, the verbal argument that's presented by a power attorney or witnesses or the veteran. And that emotion oftentimes does sway these EVA judges. They're only human. And so I, I find that to be very appropriate as well when it comes to hearings. And, and yeah, Gerald, I, I do a number of hearings, and, and I have no problem flying to the uh, Board of Veterans Appeals if needed, or I, I fly all over the country for hearings at local regional offices, too. Mm. Well, 
You know, it depends on the veteran's health, I would assume, as to what you would actually, uh, what what route you would take, uh, uh, because some veterans are not able to travel as far as others, naturally. So that would have to come into the play. But, uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to veterans' health, Gerald, we certainly are, are, are. We want to be very sensitive to that. Um, oftentimes, they're not able to travel. Um, so, for the most part, they're able to travel to their local VA regional office. So, in that case, we would do a video conference or or a personal hearing uh, via a, a, a traveling board. Uh, now, veterans who are in poor health especially veterans who are rated as terminal by their doctors, have been pretty successful in getting these claims expedited. Even when it comes to uh, uh, actual traveling boards or, or video conferences. Now, it's easier for video conferences because uh, they can be expedited quite quickly, whereas with a traveling board, you're at the mercy of when the judge is going to be in your area. I just had a case not too long ago um, a veteran out of uh, uh, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, end-stage multiple sclerosis, and the uh, regional office in Florida had denied it, and we wanted to have a, a, a video conference hearing, and through the help of uh, Robert McDonald, the secretary of the VA, and his staff, and uh-huh. the board of veterans, we were able to turn that around really quick, and we won that claim, too, but... The point being is that we, we got the claim heard in a real quick fashion. So if, if, you, if you're a terminal or if you have a severe illness that, that would uh, uh, put you in a position where you could be terminal, uh, I have found the VA to be more than uh, 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 – let's say they've gone out of their way to get these claims heard sooner than later. Well, that's good to know. Uh now, what about a choice of regional office? Can you choose a regional office at the closest to you? Well, yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, kind of answer that in two ways. Typically, your regional office is already going to be set up as the one that's closest to you. Um, uh, that's although, not, not necessarily true. Yep. Although, and I was going to say, uh, you have regional offices that broker claims back and forth. So, for instance, I've got a client who who lives in Seattle, Washington, but uh-huh. his claim is being adjudicated out of St. Paul. Uh, and that does happen where, where regional offices broker claims back and forth. But I can tell you for a fact, Gerald, that if it ever does come down to an actual hearing, a video conference or or a traveling board, they will set it up at the closest regional office for you. They wouldn't make the guy in Seattle fly to St. Paul to do it, for example. Oh, okay, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, because, see, for instance, my regional office is about 400 miles away, roughly, and then I have one down here in Oklahoma, 120 miles away. So there's a considerable dif- difference. <laughs> right. Well, I think something could be done there. I think especially if you were in a situation where it was hard for you to travel. Yeah. So, yeah. so if the way they have the boundaries throughout the country, it could be a situation where your regional office geographically uh, might be one regional office, but another regional office might be closer. I would True. say, Gerald, if that was the case, you could probably petition the VA to hold it at a closer VA regional office because when you're talking about the Board of Veterans Appeals, uh, they'll, they'll usually make those accommodations. Uh, well, if it's going to be bit, a video conference, then... It shouldn't matter to the VA as long as, you know, it's it's done properly. It shouldn't matter what facility. Right. Yeah, it shouldn't matter to the Board of Veterans Appeals at all. Uh, where it gets a little bit sticky 
Gerald, is if you don't have a claim at the Board of Veterans Appeals, you might want a, a formal personal hearing at your local VA regional office before it even gets to the Board of Veterans Appeals. Um, yeah. Then, I, then in that case, uh, you would probably be relegated to going to the regional office of jurisdiction. Unfortunately, if that meant you going to the, the, the regional office 400 miles away as compared to the regional office in another state, which might be closer, um, you might be stuck with the, uh, the, the farther one. Well, um, being we brought that up, I just thought of something. You can request that your claim be moved from one regional office to another, can you? Okay, so so what you're asking is is can a veteran or claimant uh, ask that a different regional office hear their claim as compared to the one that they're currently at? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the reason I brought that up is because uh, I had someone from Texas down there. They were in the Houston office. And they requested that their claim be moved over to the Waco office. And they accommodated them. They did move their claim over there to the Waco office. And, uh, yeah, I just thought of that. Uh, you know, some I think of there, you... Uh, there has to be some pretty, pretty good justification to do that. My experience has been, and I've had this question before, because there are regional offices throughout the country that are much more liberal, much more uh, open to decisions. There are better regional offices out there. And so uh, if, if if we opened up the books for every veteran to say, well, I don't like my regional office, I want it to go to this other regional office without any real justification, my experience, Gerald, is that the VA won't allow that. Now, why why your guy was able to get it from Houston to Waco, I don't, my my understanding is veterans aren't allowed to do that just on a whim. They have to have pretty good justification. Um, and I don't know what that justification would have been. But, but you're right. I mean, Gerald, if I had the opportunity, uh, I'd get every claimant. There are about five or six regional offices that I wouldn't send my worst enemy to. <laughs> and, yeah, I can believe and that. If, if, if those files are sitting there, if the law allowed me to, I'd put them all in a different regional office. But the problem is, is these regional offices are all, they only have X amount of dollars to work with. Yeah. And, and they can only handle so many. And that's, that's why they broker claims to different regional offices, too, uh, because they don't have the manpower to, to timely get them done. So I, I would say this, Gerald, for the 99% of the time, veterans do not have the authority or are not allowed to pick and choose what regional office they want it to be. Now, one way we've gotten around that is, is sometimes veterans will establish residence in a different regional office. Um, it's up to them what they want to say as far as how they got there and what their mailing address is, but if their mailing address is in Florida and that's where their claims file is, but they're just not getting anywhere and they have a relative in another regional office and they want to establish that as their primary residence. Yeah. I don't think the VA I don't think the VA is in any position to to say that they can't have the file sent to that regional office, especially when it comes to a hearing. Um, oh, I see. I see. Uh -huh. But not not to belabor the point, but um, but for the most part, uh, you're pretty much stuck with the regional office that your residence is is located at. Well, I know the guy in Texas that had his moved. Uh, there was some file tampering. Uh, within the regional office there at Houston, and that's the reason he, he requested it to get moved to Waco, which, by the way, he did win his claim, and he was awarded 100%. Uh, but uh, I didn't know how common that was. 
or that happened to be his reason that request to, uh, that it be moved, and and they did move it for him. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. He had justification to do it. So if you've got yeah. a regional office, you've got a regional office that that it has the inspector general has documented there's been file tampering or information tampering or something to that effect. A veteran can petition the file to be moved to a different regional office. Now, even then, it gets very difficult. A lot of times the regional office won't do that. But if that veteran makes enough of an argument, it gets maybe a congressman involved or a senator or the secretary of the VA involved, I would expect they would allow that. But you got to have some sort of reason. Other, not not just the fact that you don't like the regional office or you don't like the decision review office, or you're going to have some... I mean, they need to have something more than that. Has been my experience. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't know how many veterans out there might be fall into this type of of scenario, but uh, there could be some. You know, they especially having the regional office closer would be much, in my way of thinking, would be a lot easier on the veteran to keep uh, keep track of his file because uh, once your claim file is goofed up uh, or distorted, uh, you're in trouble. A veteran's in trouble, and if he don't uh, stay up to date with his claim file, I yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. That that's why it's always important to to cross your T's and dot your I's from the beginning, and try to avoid that convoluted mess that your file can turn into later. But, oh, but yeah. problem is, problem is, Gerald, veterans and power of attorneys can only do so much. Uh, and and if, if if you do everything you can and it still gets goofed up, it's on the VA's fault. Very much you can do about that, but continue to fight, argue the claims, and and uh, provide medical opinions and and counter the uh, denials appropriately. Cite legal rules, laws, and regulations, and ultimately you're going to win your claim if you have a case. The Board of Veterans Appeals, for the most part, like I said. They're pretty good. The yeah. regional offices that that's another that's another story. Some good regional offices, some not so good. Uh but uh well then the Court of Veterans Appeals can always get involved too if the Board of Veterans Appeals doesn't doesn't uh, handle the case appropriately. Um in fact it can go all the way to the US Supreme Court if if need be. Uh yeah. I don't know how many years it take to get to the Supreme Court. <laughs> Five hundred. <laughs> well, the Supreme Court probably wouldn't hear the case. I I don't know what the statistics are. I think they hear maybe one percent of one percent cases that ever actually come to their desk. The majority yeah. of the uh, files that go to the U.S. Supreme Court, not just VA, but any 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 cases. The majority of the time, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, just reaffirms the lower court, and then that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Well, uh, let's see. I understand. I think that I was talking to... uh, John Stacy and I were talking about this a little bit. Uh, I think we're all waiting with bated breath to see who uh, President-elect uh, Trump is going to select as the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Well, there's like- talk come out uh, uh, yesterday or last night or early this morning. Uh, they were looking at uh, Sarah Palin. And I thought that was quite interesting, but uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, interesting is 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 definitely a word for it. Um, I know they're looking at Jeff Miller, who is the uh, 
uh, a Republican congressman out of Florida who uh, last six years was on the uh, Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, he seems to be the leading candidate. And But you're right, Gerald. I'd seen that uh, I don't know that Donald Trump is seriously considering her. He hasn't dispelled the idea of appointing Sarah Palin as the uh, secretary of the VA. Uh, but that's uh, that's going to be his decision. I don't know. What do you guys think about uh, Sarah Palin as secretary of the VA? <laughs> well, I don't if know if he if has experience in uh, veterans' affairs, but I'm not crazy about Miller. I, personally, I don't have nothing against him. I just, well, he... I don't see where he's gained that much while being in the position he's in. I would like to see someone like West, uh, uh, what's his name? Alan uh, West. Alan West, uh, the one rides a motorcycle. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I was sure that, you know, you put it in perspective, think about it. If President-elect Trump really wants to shake it up, but he, you know, he said he's going to shake it up. And, uh, you know, there's probably not another better person involved to shake something up. She may have had the experience <laughs> in the VA, but she's got experience shaking stuff up. <laughs> well, you know, she could shake it up. We we'll all agree it needs no, shaking no. up, but yeah. uh, at the same time we got to keep it moving and and a working and uh, you know it depends on who she puts in as her undersecretaries. Uh, I think that would have a lot to do with it, but she's certainly capable of ruling the roost. Let me quote my. Newt? Um, Newt said, yeah. Go ahead, John. Oh, no, I was Newt just thinking said, out loud yeah, here. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just thinking out loud here about, uh, I did a little bit of research on, on Congressman Miller. Uh, one of the biggest yeah. knocks, it seems, is that he, he he's part of the company politicians, and that's something that people who voted for Trump... Uh, wanted wanted to get rid of, and that's why they voted for Trump. Because he's not part of the old old boys crew, the old politicians. He's he's a bit of a maverick, and I think if you were to put uh, Congressman Miller in there, uh, I think that's just the old boys network there. And the biggest knock it sounds like against him is he was the, uh, the chair, chair chairman of the uh, uh, Veterans Affairs Committee for for the Congress and. Uh, Secretary McDonald had a devil of a time getting any, getting anything past him. Um, now I don't know if Secretary McDonald is, is the answer either, but but you know one thing's for sure: Secretary McDonald, he's a military guy, uh, West Point. Uh, he's got a number of years under his belt, and if we get a Republican-led Congress and Senate that's going to allow him to do what he wants to do, I think he might be pleasantly surprised. If, if we give uh, Secretary McDonald another shot, uh, he's done right by me. Now, if we put Sarah Palin in there, uh, I, don't I just don't know. I mean, I'm not I don't see a I, good shakeup, and that would be a good shakeup, yeah. but is it the right person? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Don't forget, I, she's also got some pretty. She's got some pretty close ties too in her own personal organization too that will help you know with the VA. She's got a good advisor. Yeah, I mean if she's got the proper undersecretaries advising her, I think she'd be okay. I, I mean I'm not well, against she's got her. Enough, she's got uh, enough money with her thumb <laughs> Alan West, I think, is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought I uh, for some reason I keep thinking he would make a good one, but uh, uh, Bob McDonald, uh, 
like John said there, you know, it might be worth giving him another try for a while. If he don't work out, he can always be replaced. But he certainly knows by now of some of the hazards that's got to be, you know, and the things that's got to be taken care of. Well, he's he's certainly not a not a career politician like Miller would be. Uh, not a career politician like Palin would be. Um, he's got some seasoning. Uh, he's, he's made some mistakes. He's learned from it, and he's tried to move on from it. I wouldn't mind. I don't think he's going to get appointed. Um, I don't know if he wants to do it. It sounds like he wants to, but um, I think that job wears you down real quick. So um, I don't know. Who do you put in there? Uh well, it's a difficult job, and right now, in the shape the BA's in, and we all know it, it is ignorance run amok. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. Hey, uh, John, what's the latest backlog numbers? You got any information? I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. I don't keep statistics on backlogs with the Board of Veterans Appeals or, or regional offices, especially with with regional offices. Uh, they vary. Uh, I usually I usually talk in months and years when it comes to different claims, and I'm pretty accurate about that. Um, uh, an original claim in St. Petersburg, be it regional office as compared to original claim in you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, it could be night and day. Now, of course, St. Petersburg has more, more employees to work claims, but uh, I would say globally across the country, uh, throughout the world, uh, claims on average, original claims take anywhere from 8 to 10 months to adjudicate. If you file a fully developed claim, they can usually turn those things around in about 3 to 6 months. Which, which is another topic we can talk about. Um, time frame with appeals, from the time you file an actual notice of disagreement at a regional office, most regional offices will tell you they're about two, two and a half, three years behind. So from the date you file an appeal, you can probably expect a decision at the earliest two years from the date you file that appeal on average. Uh, for my part, I push. I start pushing appeals at that one-year mark, unless we have a financial hardship or terminal illness or something like that. I, I push those appeals at one year. Now, even one year is a long time. I, I'm not saying that's right, but I think I think any regional office, if you approach them at that one-year mark, they're going to be a lot a lot more bendable as compared to uh, any anything earlier. Uh, John, the Board of Veterans Appeals continues to get farther and farther backlogged. I would say if, if you went to the Board of Veterans Appeals, you filed the uh, substantive appeal form nine. From the time you file that, if you don't request a hearing, uh, you probably get a decision in a year, possibly a year, year and a half. Um, if you ask for a hearing, it's probably going to be two years before you get a hearing. And then once you've had the hearing, you're probably waiting at least a year and a half, maybe two years for a decision. So it's unfortunate, uh, but those hearings, you know, you might be looking at three, four years out from the time you actually filed the appeal. Um, For my part, I can't speak for any other attorneys or or agents out there or national service officers. I I always push it at the one-year mark. I, I, whether it's at the Board of Veterans Appeals or not, I keep pushing at that one-year mark. And there's a way you can get it done in that time period uh, if, if, if you if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I saw some reports on the Moon reports, like uh, average days complete as moving to 26. For a fully developed claim, it's roughly 107.9 days. And for a non-FTC claim, they're running over 115 days. But it depends okay, on what we do. It's kind of an average. You've got some statistics there. That's good. Yeah. Right. And uh looks like as of uh, 
July 2012, the backlog was basically 883,930 claims. They've got that down to 392,000 in November 26th. So they've done it. The they did, did a real good job because it didn't have. Yeah, but the claims. I'd say the claims went over to appeals. How many that's appeals we got? You know, you know that's a good point, Gerald. Um, so, so those numbers can be deceiving. Uh, you may have X number of claims, and uh, you cut it down fifty percent. But the real question would be, how many of those claims that were cut down to fifty percent were denied? How many were approved, and of the ones that were denied, how many were appealed, and what's the what's the backlog at the uh, appeal stage? So, um, yeah, it, it 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 can go back and forth for sure. And how many's in transit? Uh, do they count them when they're in transit? I don't think they do. In transit from the regional office to the Board of Veterans Appeals. From wherever they send them to wherever they send them, I think they move them all over the doggone country. And they well, keep them on them trucks. My experience has been uh, from the time the uh, uh, the file is... Well, let's take an example. Let's say I file a, a Form 9 substantive appeal to the regional office, and they, they accept it. It's probably on average four to five months before the regional offices actually certify to the Board of Veterans Appeals, okay? And then it's probably a good four to five months after that before the Board of Veterans Appeals actually takes it over. So, yeah, that transit time, it's about four to five months from the time the regional office says we're certifying it to the time the Board of Veterans Appeals says we got it. Now, that's interesting. Did you know that 68% of the claims that are open right now are not initial claims? There are veterans want increases. <laughs> you said 68% of the claims are not original claims that request for increases? Yeah, and basically you got a, there's 142,000 new claims. And out of that, and then there's there's 392,000 total. So 392 minus 142 gives you the percentage of how many increases are veterans are in service and they could want increases. I, 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 would, I would believe that. I would say, yeah. I would say the majority of my cases are are either requests for increases or, or a reopening of previously denied claims. I, I do get veterans that are filing claims for the first time, uh, but uh, most of them are, are usually claims that have already been established and we're looking at a grade or we're looking at redeveloping previous denials or or uh, maybe veterans have been raided already or been denied in the past, but they've, they've developed additional new claims, uh, residuals of different ratings they're rated for oftentimes come up, or presumptive disabilities, uh, such as uh, any disabilities presumptive age in Orange or the Persian Gulf, Middle East, sometimes those disabilities crop up, and, and a lot of those disabilities that are presumptive, there's no no time frame, there's no window when you have to come down with the type of disability. For example, not to get too far off the topic, but age in Orange, you get certain disabilities 50 years or 40 years after the fact, uh, then then it's automatically service-connected. I'll send you this link, John, when I get situated here and uh, that because it's got a lot of good information on it. I appreciate that. It's kind of like VA taking the plane moving it from the BBA to the BVA is like taking the air out of one tire and putting another one you can already stick out flat. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. And one thing I always try to tell veterans is that 
lot of times they're they're all ready to go. Let's go to let's let's go to the board of veterans of fields. Let's do it. Let's do it right away. My my goal is to not get it to the board of veterans of fields. The time the time wait is, is substantial, but majority of the time, if if you can win a claim before the board of veterans of fields, you're gonna save yourself a lot of time and heartache. Um, most of the regional offices, they're open to granting claims if you give them the evidence they need. Um, so by going to the Board of Veterans Appeals, that's an, to me, that's the last option. And try to avoid that if we need to. Yep. And you get some regional offices, too, like Louisville, Kentucky, John, that make their mind that they're not going to award nobody's claim whatsoever and then have to be able to But we wear them down, though, don't we, John? <laughs> we uh, we got to keep Yeah, it sort of. <laughs> well, they still so yeah, we, we we got we got some files there that have that have, we've had to wear down. Um, recently, uh, one of the decisions came out that I still haven't gotten a copy of. I need to look at that, but it it'll be a major step in in the process. But yeah, John, there there are regional offices that then nail it right off the bat and they grant it and then there are other regional offices you have to wear them down left and right and then you've got those regional offices it doesn't matter what you give them they're going to deny it and we have to go to the Board of Veterans Appeals so it's unfortunate but it's just the way that's it is that's the one that needs to be tore down that's What's the one that that's the ones that be tore down those are the ones that need to be tore down Took up. yeah or, or what it takes is a secretary of the VA that starts listening to, to people who have got some experience with these regional offices and will fully understand the problems within their system. Um, well, I know the ball, I know the ball, ball back to, I was just reading. Go ahead. This goes back to my statement from Mr. Gingrich. I mean, I'm not, you know, um, this is not political in any fashion, but Mr. Gingrich, he made a good statement the other day. We're talking about appointees and things like that, and he's like, you know, the Secretary of State, and, you know, you got your uh, head of the military and all this other stuff, Joint Chiefs of Staff. The people that actually work in those areas, like the VA, that are not political appointees, they refer to these folks as the summer help. And so that gives you a little bit of, of, of uh, that shows you how they treat these appointees coming in. You know, they'll tell them one thing and do something else. So it'd be. That costs Kentucky a job, you know. What I mean. So what you're saying is maybe you want someone, want someone in there like a losing cars, yeah, yeah. The so put someone in there. Um, maybe what you're saying is put someone in there like a Newt Gingrich who has the seasoning and and knows the game and wouldn't get rolled over. Yeah, but like like someone else might. Well, look at Shinseki. He was excellent at what he did, but he got a, he got bowled over. The under secretary just wiped him out, and, and he got to the point where he got fired. Who are you referring to? Eric Shinseki. The secretary Shinseki. Oh, Shinseki. Yeah. Yeah, you're fading out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, he got fired because of that. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. He he took the fall for for people under him. Um, it seemed like uh, uh, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If the people under you don't do their job and and uh, you know, you're on the hook for it and you're the fall guy. Yeah. He didn't have any power to fire anybody. Now the new guy. Oh, that's what's got to happen. He's got to be shook up because this. This, this situation shouldn't be as bad as it is. It should never be that bad. You're right. You're right. And, and I go back to your statement earlier, which Gerald brought up. It, it, it's one thing to say 880,000 claims were pending in a certain year, and they cut it down to 300-some thousand. But the problem is, is that they're mandated to cut that in half, but, but what you're doing is you're asking them to decide these claims much faster than they're comfortable with and they miss a lot of things and and when they're missing a lot of things they're denying a lot of things and when they're denying a lot of things you get a lot of appeals and so uh, I mean it's a vicious circle 
I've always, I've always yeah. advocated, guys, and I'll say this to the cows come home, hire more people and train them better. But people don't want to do that because your taxes go up. If people don't want to pay more taxes to hire more people within the Department of Veterans Affairs. But if you hire more people and train them better, you get better decisions, and you don't have to appeal them. That's true. That is totally true. In a perfect world, that is. In a perfect world, yeah. Yeah, of course, you know, you're you're taking money from different coffers to do that, and everyone has their own special interests. So, you know, there's a lot of bargaining across the table there. Uh, and it's politics, I get that. Um, so there's no easy answer, that's for sure. Well, if it was a perfect world, I'd be sitting by the lake somewhere. Gerald would be sitting there at 100%. You'd be driving a truck. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to solve it, you know? That's right. That's right. But no, we thank you people like you being able to do this. I mean, I've, I know, I've known you for several years now, and know what you can do and know your abilities. And we were discussing earlier about, uh, you know, going the hearings and the BBA and the, the <clears throat> travel board hearing and going to the actual court in Washington. Now, there is some circumstances, I won't reiterate really on that, sometimes a rep can actually be in D.C. while the veteran's in his regional office. I've seen that happen before. And you faded out a little bit when you're talking about the Board of Veterans Appeals, they do have, uh, well, the National Service Officers have Washington, D.C. Board of Veterans Appeals service officers there. Uh, the regional offices would be represented by the respective National Service Officer uh, yeah. or, or or whoever they have appointed, power of attorney. As I said, I've been to some hearings before, and, and so and I know plenty of attorneys and agents. They, they go all over the country. Uh, to do that. But now, on the accreditation standpoint, these guys, and I know the National Service Officers are accredited, but, you know, I see a lot of these local guys that aren't. You know, a lot of these guys are, of course, they, you know, they work for a National Service Officer. He's the one who makes the final decision. You know, these guys are just helping file claims and stuff. But, uh, like the post service officers, most of them are not, not accredited. Yeah, you know, it gets a little sticky there. You know, back in my, you know, other days when I was a government rep, we were automatically accredited. You know, we had to take annual certification tests, accredited through the State Department of Veterans Affairs, so we were automatically accredited. I I know with our post-service officers, uh, they do the best they can. They mean well. But my experience with the post service officers in Minnesota, we had an understanding with them that they would interview the particular veteran, uh, not give them any advice, because if you're not accredited, you can't do that, but they would refer them to us on a, on a state, county, or, or national level to, to handle it. So can't speak for all post service officers, but you're right, John, if, if they're not accredited, they cannot legally represent these veterans. I think there's a in, in the in the details of the laws reading it the other day. I think there's an exclusion on that, a one-time exclusion, where an interested third party can do it, but they still have to file appropriate paperwork to do that. So yeah, it gets a little yeah. sticky on on who can represent veterans and what they can tell veterans, what kind of advice, what fees you can charge in those types of things. Yep, that's true. Well, that's a heads up, folks. You got a guy at the DAV post telling you what you need to do and help file your claim and start spraying percentages down, you might want to get somebody credited because, you know, he really doesn't have the leg to stand on. It's easy leg enough to find out if they're accredited. The uh, the Office of General Counsel has a up-to-date list of everyone that's accredited throughout the country, throughout the world, really. And they're broken down by attorneys, accredited appeals agents such as myself, and uh, and and state, county, and federal veteran service officers. So, if you wonder if they're accredited, 
just go to that website, click the appropriate button, put that person's name in, hit enter. It'll tell you if they're accredited. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. That's really good to know. That's good to know. Well, Mr. Cook, time has come again. I'm playing the next. <laughs> I gave you a couple of extra minutes tonight, so we can we can wind it down if you want to. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, well, we appreciate you, you coming on. Yeah, give your number and website there, John. If there's any if there's any listeners out there that want to contact me directly, uh, my phone number and email. Area code six five one three zero three three zero six two, and uh, my email is benefitsagent at comcast dot net. That's benefitsagent at comcast dot net. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you tuning in. If you didn't like the show, let us know. Uh, We'll be back here again next week, same time, same place. And uh, we'd be glad to hear your questions or comments there on Haddit. You get a chance to log in there and... Drop us a line. Let us know how we're doing. We want to thank John Dorley for coming on and Jay Basser for being here for us as our co-host. And this will be Gerald Cook. We'll be signing off for now. <clears throat> You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and enough the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show.